We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato on this beautiful sunny Saturday of the holiday labor weekend. I, of course, in this collared shirt, is coming are coming off a nice 18 round of golf. I walked today, Nick, which was awesome. I love when I walk, but typically the people I play with like to ride, so I just ride with them. But I actually prefer walking uh, with a push cart on a golf course. You get like a nice five and a half, six miles of walking in some uphill. So I feel like it makes it more of a workout. It's not actually a workout. I know you're scoffing at that idea that golf can be a workout, but you know, it feels a little bit more like a workout. And then I have tomorrow where I'm playing with my brother and my dad for the first time. Um, and every time I play with my brother now is an opportunity to show well in front of him. I've never played well in front of my brother. Today was an interesting mixed day. Not that anyone cares, but I was getting off the tee really nice, but the irons were not Great. Uh, I'm going through a weird period with my irons, Nick. Um, but I finished some holes nice, and I had a pretty nice back nine. So definitely enjoying that hol- on the holiday weekend, seeing some friends tonight. Um, so should be a good weekend all around. What are you doing for the holiday, Nick, for Labor Day? I'm hanging out with my dog who's right next to me, hanging out with my girl, and I'm definitely not going to be golfing. And if I were, it would be nine holes because doing 18 back-to-back days sounds absolutely horrendous to me. Well, I'll tell you this. I didn't know. Uh, no, I, I, I knew. I mean, but I, I if we weren't planning, if we weren't already planning to do the podcast today, Nick, when I got done with the 18, my another friend of mine, Frankie and another, and, and Corey and I have shout out Frankie before. Shout out Frankie Bagels. For those of you in the Denville area, you should definitely check out Church Street Bagels. I've worn the shirt before. I've shown the pictures on Twitter. You've seen that you can, uh, that Chipotle melt breakfast sandwich. Seen how good it looks. People who have listened to this have tried it have confirmed it is as good as I'm saying it is. So shout out Frankie Bagels and check out um, Church Street Bagels in Denville. But he was playing and I've never, and he's playing for the first time. So I wanted to play with him. So if we weren't doing this, Nick, I would have played another 18 back to back at the Null at Null West because if you can you pay for the first round and it's 70 something and you could play a second round if you if you had played the first for only $18. So it was incredibly tempting, Nick, from the Jewish side of me. It was like, ooh, a $18 <laughs> golf round here. Let's get into that. And I, I could honestly play 36 in a row like that, Nick, and not get bored. Like every hole I look at as an opportunity to improve and to get better. And that's like why I'm so addicted to the game. But I do love that about you, by the way. And I'm loving that you're finding this passion in such a boring and stale sport <laughs> like golf. So, but I, but I'm happy for you. You know, you do you, my friend. And let me pull, pull down the, the shirt right now. It's obviously a little bit small for that, for that one weirdo troll who, who's on the page, like had like five comments last week. I debacle, one of them, I just debilitated your, your will to, you should be your will to live. 
And I hope you, I hope you hear this and don't, you know, I'm serious. Don't leave the page. I don't give, I don't want you. We don't want you listening. And he's like, Oh, Dan's always pushing up his biceps. I'm not pushing up my biceps. I'm reaching over to change tabs on the computer. It's not my fault that, you know, I'm in better shape than you, you troll. Who's probably just <laughs> living a horrible existence there taking like, honestly, no, but it's true. Like if you spend the time to go on someone else's page, that's delivering free content and say like stupid crap like that. And just, you know, try to bring them down to me. You don't, I'm out on you. And like, I have no interest. I could care less what happens to you. Literally. I hope you leave the page and never come back. As the great philosopher, Bo Burnham once said, welcome to the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also as the great, uh, not great, but as head coach of the New York jets, Robert Sala once said a few weeks ago, if you don't have haters, you ain't popping. So you know what? That's how I've lived my life. You ain't popping. You know, for whatever reason, Sala doesn't strike me as someone who would use that type of vernacular. You ain't popping. Like, that doesn't no, strike me I as know, a Sala. It, was, it did sound kind of weird coming from him, but you know what? <laughs> um, anyway, we're four minutes in. We've talked too much golf. We've talked too much. Let's talk about what we're here for today, Nick. Um, want to give you a little bit of content over this holiday weekend. What we wanted to talk about is, like, this weekend I was talk I was texting with Nick. Nick, I was at the U.S. Open. I was like, I was thinking about this. Shout out Matt Schneier, former uh, podcast guest, if you want to call him that, impromptu guest. We were talking Giants at the U.S. Open. We took my mom out for her birthday. It was an incredible experience. She was literally the happiest I've ever seen her. Um, so happy to get to do that. But the U.S. Open is a lot of fun. But we were saying, like, you know, this the, the reason I feel so good heading into this 2023 season, and I know there's been a lot of negativity surrounding the Giants this year from outside the bubble, Nick. A lot of people you ask that don't cover this team tell you the Giants are one of their biggest picks to be a, a bust this year. And as we've discussed, Vegas is has the Giants at seven and a half wins for the over-under, which is insanely low coming off that season. And considering what we're talking about today, the improvements they've made potentially to the roster. But we feel so confident that this 2023 season is going to be different than that 2017 season. Obviously, the 2017 season, following up the Giants going 2016, uh, I'm sorry, 11 and five in 2016, making the playoffs, losing that playoff game with some key drops from uh, Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, and then heading into 2017 after an offseason 2016, which we'll talk about. And obviously, as you know, Nick, and as everyone listening knows, that 2017 season following the playoff berth was an epic disaster. The Giants collapsed completely. They fired Jerry Reese. They fired Ben McAdoo. There was disarray in the locker room with Eli Apple, a couple bad apples, no, no pun intended, who were on the roster and showing out in practice toward the end of the season. And we just feel, and we'll talk about it today, Nick, but I feel so confident that this 2023 season is not going to resemble that. And I feel really strongly confident that the Giants are going to be able to kind of once again, because it's crazy that we're here, Nick, but once again, they have to prove the doubters wrong, even after last season. Because again, you look across the NFL and the majority of analysts that don't cover the Giants are doubters of this 2023 dream, obviously looking, pointing to the schedule, pointing to a lot of the efficiency metrics that a lot of the close wins, which will go over from last season. But what we're going to look at today is, do we want to lean on tough schedule and regression as the reasons to not buy into the giants, or do we want to lean into some other changes and things that are different about this 2023 team than was the case for 2017. And that's kind of the debate today, Nick. And I want to hear what your thoughts are just to start initially on this conversation. Daniel Jones, Evan Neal, and development of Kayvon Thibodeau, Aziz Ojolari, they're really going to factor in who the New York Giants are this year. But I have so much trust in this coaching staff, and I want to kind of preface this entire podcast by saying there is a huge difference in the expectation between the 2016 New York Giants and the Giants from last season. The Giants from last season, they exceeded expectations tenfold. No one really thought they were going to do 
anything. A lot of beat reporters, like, yeah, they'll win four games, five games, maybe six games. We looked at the schedule. We trusted the coaches. And we said, I think the Giants can win nine, 10 games. And we hit that. Generally speaking, it seems like the Giants last year were a year ahead of schedule from what a lot of people expected them to be. And they outperformed a lot of the expectations. Whereas if you go back to 2016, the Giants just dumped a bunch of money into a bunch of free agent assets in Damon Snacks, Harrison, and Jack Rabbit, Janoris Jenkins, Olivier Vernon. We'll go over all this. So the expectations were a lot higher back in 2016. And I think there's something to the fact that the Giants exceeded expectations in 2022, and they just kind of lived up to it back in 2016 and it all kind of crumbled for various reasons we'll go over here in a little bit yeah you nailed it because they were in a different position heading into that 2016 they felt like if we go make these splash in free agency we have the hall of fame quarterback who all he needs is a few more pieces around him or you know in the other side of it as many pieces we can put around eli manning we have a much better chance because he can do the rest kind of like in 2011 where you know the giants won a super bowl behind what pro football focus graded out to be the worst offensive line in the NFL. That tackle situation was as bad as I've ever seen from a Super Bowl winning team. Obviously, the Chiefs, with all the injuries, were in a bad spot two Super Bowls ago, but they didn't win that Super Bowl. Like, to actually go ahead and win the big game with the, that tackle situation that they had that year. And, you know, I'm not trying to knock completely one of the, the best Giants we've ever had from a value standpoint, David Deal, but they were really struggling from a tackle standpoint that year. Um, interior was a little bit better, but they ranked dead last. And I think going into the playoffs, Nick, they were like 30th in total defense and 31st in rushing offense. So they were truly a team of Eli Manning in the passing game. And then finally the, the defensive ends got uh, healthy for the playoffs and helped with the pass rush coming back. But that was such a different scenario with Eli going in. And I feel like you're right. Like last year was all about, can we take Daniel Jones to a level that we feel comfortable with to help us win football games in 2022? And the answer to that was yes. Daniel Jones 100% helped the Giants win football games last year, whether it be with his legs on those plays where they were designed dropbacks, but he didn't like what he saw, and he just took the A-gap and extended a drive. Whether it be with some of those big-time throws on third and long that we talked about, Nick, or sometimes it was just throwing the ball early and getting it out there. The Darius Slayton touchdown against Jacksonville, those switch routes against Minnesota uh, along the sideline that were big gains in the passing game. And so through all that, it kind of told me that, you know, they're in a different position. They have more room to grow, I feel like, with their quarterback position. Then no offense, the Giants were at with 2016 because we were seeing a declining Eli Manning. No matter how you want to frame it, you can blame Jerry Reese for not building him the offensive line. I think that's very fair. But he, even with an offensive line, wasn't the same player he was in 2011. I also want to look up the 2016 because I don't have access to the 2016 explosive play rate because just that. remembering, yeah, you could do that right now. Just remembering the 2016 team, they were explosive because they had Sterling Shepard, a rookie Sterling Shepard. They had Odell Beckham Jr. And Eli Manning is a quarterback who liked to air it out. And if you go back through a lot of those games, especially early in the season, there were a lot of explosive plays and just competitive games where the opposing team, the Giants, were going back and forth scoring. Last year, there's still so much that this offense can access. If Daniel Jones can get them there, and also just with all of the additions with Jalen Hyatt, with Darren Waller, because the Giants were dead last. And I know I say this so much, but they were last in explosive plays last year. So if you can even get to halfway, if you can get to 16th in the league, that is such a huge step. And the modern NFL is predicated on explosive offensive plays. And the Giants were still able to win a playoff game, despite the fact that they were just nickel and diming defenses up and down the football field and then being wildly efficient in the red zone. 
Yeah, just looking at the explosive play numbers, Nick, the Giants 2016 offense had more explosive pass plays than the Giants 2022 offense had overall explosive plays. And the Giants actually had double the explosive run plays in 2022 than 2016. So it just shows you how different the offense was schematically and from what actually worked well for the Giants. And there's a couple of reasons why you have Saquon Barkley as your running back and not Rashad Jennings. You have Daniel yeah. Jones as your quarterback and not Eli Manning. And you didn't have a guy by the name of Odell Beckham Jr. at wide receiver like the Giants had then. Even though Sterling Shepard is still here, but I'll say this, the Giants did add a number 13 explosive player right now in Jalen Hyatt. A lot of people are making something about the fact that he chose number 13. To me, I, I didn't think about it either way. What was your reaction to that real quick? I definitely thought about it. I was talking about this as well at the US Open. I was like, wow, Hyatt took 13. And then my brother was like, yeah, but think about it like this, like, a few other players had it already exactly. or this like Don, let's just name Dante Pettis had it a couple years ago, but I think it's a little different when somebody who actually has a lot of talent, like Hyatt, wears it? Cause it just, and I, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I like that he took it and it was cool to see Odell Beckham jr. Actually shout him out on social media. He shouted him out on Twitter. He's like, yeah, you know what? Good stuff. I like that. He has this. So that was definitely cool to see as well, Nick, but yeah, it's just interesting to see how the difference in the offenses were uh, were for those two seasons. And then heading into 2017, the Giants obviously had less, in my mind, on offense. They were a little too reliant in some ways on those explosive pass plays. Even though they're only 24th overall that season, they didn't have the same overall total offense. Specifically, the red zone offense was the biggest difference, Nick. I think you might have those numbers uh, on the Giants' red zone offense in 2022 versus 2016. In 2016, the Giants' offensive red zone efficiency was 53.5%, which ranked 19th. Last year, it was 63.3%, so almost 10% difference. They ranked 7th overall. And then the defensive red zone efficiency, 2016, 39.5%. They ranked 1st, so they were really efficient in the red zone, forcing field goals. Excellent stat. Doesn't always carry over, as we learned. And then in 2022, they were 49.2%, which ranked 5th overall. That was Wink Martindale's unit. And I think we can say the unit is much more talented right now with the addition of Bobby Okereke. You still have a Dory Jackson. Hopefully you have a healthy Leonard Williams. So it doesn't necessarily mean that number is going to be better, but I do believe that that defensive side of the roster is in a better place than they were last year when they couldn't fit the run at all. And I want to look, Nick, a little bit into just how like a 30,000 foot view on how they went about the offseason coming off the similar seasons, right? Giants in 2016 made the playoffs, lost the play, lost the playoff game in 2022. They did win their playoff game, but but similar in the sense that, you know, neither no not 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 same kind of deep playoff run. So, here's what they did in 2017 coming off of 2016. So, as you remember Nick in 2016 and for those following along, Giants were basically a team that won a lot of close games, had one on the back of explosive plays like you mentioned from Odo Beckham Jr. No rushing game whatsoever. Really was one of a dead in the water rushing attack with no blocking. Bad blocking overall on offense. So really 2016 passing game overall wasn't that good. 2014 was good with McAdoo. 2015 was good. 2016 was a downturn. And then a defense that was really, really good, which we'll get into. So that was the formula for winning. So what did they do in the offseason? They made no moves along the offensive line outside of losing Marshall Newhouse, and then re-signing John Jerry. Do you remember John Jerry? They re-signed him to a three-year contract. Uh, just 
the epitome of just a weird decision at that point. Like you talk about like the Mark Lewinsky contract from last year. Mark Lewinsky was a much better player than John Jerry was. John Jerry was like the, the idea of resigning John Jerry was like resigning a worse version of Will Hernandez last offseason. Had the Giants decided to do that, that was essentially what it was. That was their big splash. Of course, on the flip side, the Giants were at least told by Andrew Whitworth's agent that he wanted to come play for New York. Him and his wife liked the New York area. That's where they wanted to play. He was an option in free agency. He did not ultimately sign for a massive contract with the Rams. Instead, the Giants used that money to re-sign one of their own, Jason Pierre-Paul, to a four-year, $62 million deal. Similar to the Giants' decision to re-sign Dexter Lawrence, only Dexter Lawrence was a lot younger at the time and more dominant. While Jason Pierre-Paul was pretty good in 2016, his season was nowhere near as dominant as what Dexter Lawrence's 2022 was, and obviously he was a lot older. They also used uh, $18 million in that on a four-year deal for Rhett Ellison. Obviously, the Giants made the decision to trade for Darren Waller this offseason, and I think that's a bit of an upgrade there, Nick. And then they signed Brandon Marshall to a two-year $12 million contract, which is actually cheaper than I thought I remembered it as, Nick. I thought it was like a few more million than that, but... Still, it was like at that point after their big spending spree in 2016, they only had limited money for these deals. So it was one of their bigger contracts and swings. They made a few other moves uh, that I noted, Nick. They signed Geno Smith, which was funny just because of where Geno Smith is at now and where he was at then. They signed DJ Fluker. Remember, there was like hope that that could somehow miracle the miracles for the Giants offensive line. (laughs) Their their big stuff was John Jerry and Marshall and uh, I'm sorry, and DJ Fluker that offseason just. Tough look right there. They re-signed Will Ty. I don't know if you remember him. Obviously, you do. <laughs> I got a funny story about Will Ty. Okay, so Will Ty, we have a mutual friend, Don, who absolutely loves Will Ty because one time he was watching me and my friend John play Madden, and I dropped like 10 catches and three touchdowns with Will Ty on John. And now this was like, you know, seven or eight years ago. Don won't shut up about Will Ty. We just had that leagues that we're all in together, me, John, Don fantasy draft and every time the draft opens don will comment and say taking will tie at whatever pick he has so we had like ninth and he was like taking will tie at nine that's his first comment every single year he does it i've never acknowledged it to him but i just remember and i chuckle so i might have to text him and be like yes you're gonna take will tie at nine i get it we're going will tie again at nine yeah will tie had had some moments for the giants and then their last thing that was notable from free agency nick was that was the first uh, not first, but another example. They let Jonathan Hankins re- sign elsewhere in free agency yeah. uh, to a multi-year deal. So they lost out. It's kind of different than what the Giants did in the sense of just bringing back or at least keeping Leonard Williams on the big contract that he has and instead adding to it. Um, so here's the look. That was their 2017 free agency play, and we'll get into the drafts as well. Here's what they did in 2033. Here's the notable moves. They re-signed Isaiah Hodgins, who was a big part of their success last year. They re-signed Lawrence Cager. They re-signed uh, Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones got a four-year, $160 million deal. They re-signed Darius Slayton to a multi-year deal. They lost Gates and Feliciano. We'll talk about what they did to replace that. They signed Bobby Okereke to a big deal. Ashawn Robinson to a big one-year deal. A small deal for Paris Campbell. Small deal for Nacho. They traded for Waller. Traded for Isaiah Simmons. Traded for Boogie Basham. Re-signed Brito and Jihad Ward. And the players they lost outside of Gates and Feliciano were Nick Williams, Fabian Moreau, and Jalen Smith, who were notable just in how much they played from a snap standpoint last year, but obvious examples of where the Giants were looking to upgrade, including Gates and Feliciano, the spots that they left there. So I think just they lost Richie James too. And they lost Richie James to the Chiefs. Good call. So I think just looking at that, Nick, from a standpoint of what did they lose versus what did they gain in just free agency? I'm looking at this offseason like they gained a lot more than they lost. And I'm not so sure that was the case for 2017, especially given 
what they got out of Brandon Marshall, which was not much. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less, yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit matchup to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier of the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show, and then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company, 
and then found us in this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business, and they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of Blue Wire. If you would like to be a part of the Blue Wire investment round or you want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash Blue Wire. And remember, supporting Blue Wire is another way to support our show and this podcast. Nick, you ever been in the spot where you just felt like, I've got a few hours to go. I'm going to this game. I'm buying tickets. I don't have the tickets yet. You're stressing. The anxiety is at an all-time high. You're trying to figure out what the heck you can do to get to this game. That happened to me a few years ago when the Wisconsin Badgers made the Sweet 16 game in the Madison Square Garden. My dad, diehard Badgers fan, the reason I went to Wisconsin, the reason I am a Badgers fan, I needed to get him tickets for that game. It was his birthday. So I'm stressing. I don't know what to do. And then, boom, I figure it out. I use the GameTime app. The GameTime app is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and anything near you. They got killer deals, last-minute tickets. You click open the app, and you're shocked to see that you can actually go to these games, having a good time, and not actually have to pay so much money that it breaks your bank account. Stanley Cup Final Week 1 this past season. I used the GameTime app last second. It was actually past the time of puck drop. Went on the app. I was in Vegas. Saw the Vegas Golden Knights defeat the Florida Panthers. And I also used the GameTime app to buy my entire family when they came out here to Phoenix to visit me to see Tom Segura's special, which is actually the same special Netflix used for their video tapings. And I love it because you can find so much on the app. Like you get an actual image of the seat view. Not like you're buying a seat with an obstructed view. It's an actual image. You know what you're getting. Lowest prices that I've seen by far, and that's their guarantee. You get an event cancellation protection, job loss protection. They go all out here to make sure that this is a great experience for the user. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code BANTER. That's B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code BANTER. B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Exactly. Now, let's go back to 2017 and put ourselves in the shoes of Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese. What exactly were they trying to do coming off of that successful season where they lost to the Green Bay Packers in the wild-card round? They were trying to really bolster the 11 personnel package of Ben McAdoo's offense because Ben McAdoo ran 11 personnel like 80% or something oh, like that. It was, over it was over 90. See, it, it was just insane. Like, I love 11 personnel. You can be very flexible out of 11 personnel, especially if you can run out of 11 personnel. But it was way too much, and they were way too predictable. So what did they do? They signed Brendan Marshall. What is Brendan Marshall going to be to that offense? He's going to be the X. And that's going to allow Odell Beckham to be the Z, and he can move around and be off the line of scrimmage and get free releases, and he doesn't even need that. You can do really anything with Odell Beckham because he's just an absolute superstar. Sterling Shepard in the slot. And it comes the draft. Three really good tight ends in the draft. You have O.J. Howard, who went first. You have Evan Ingram. You have David Njoku. The Giants were linked to both Njoku, and obviously they ended up taking Evan Ingram. They wanted Evan Ingram to be that player to split the seams. Every team was playing basically cover two, four quarters against the Giants because the Giants didn't necessarily have the ability to run the football, as we know, but they had Odell Beckham Jr. And we wanted to slow down and cloud cover Odell Beckham Jr. and keep multiple eyes on him. But if you have a player like Evan Ingram who could split the seam, 
then you can punish the center parts of the intermediate and deep portions of the field with that athletic tight end. That was the mindset behind it. You can understand it from that perspective, but the implementation of it was horrible. Injuries ended up happening. That entire locker room was me guys. It seemed like it wasn't a team. It was just a collection of semi-talented and talented football players. And then once there was any adversity, the entire thing crumbled. You nailed it. And in a lot of ways, from a schematic standpoint, they thought Evan Ingram could be the guy. Because the big talking point then, as you as you alluded to, Nick, was Eli Manning can't beat cover two anymore. Eli Manning can't beat these two yeah. high shells anymore. Mm -hmm. And can Evan Ingram come in and bust them, like you said? But the issue was, yes, he was considered, I guess, one of the talented tight ends in that class. But he rose after that 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 40 yard dash time right like that was really yeah. what shot him into the potential first round conversation quote unquote but the film was not very good and we noted at the time we didn't see a lot of good 90 year cuts and i know he had a pretty good bounce back season with the jacks last year but i felt like they just used him in the perfect way and trevor lawrence was honestly a big factor in that as well as doug peterson i'm not convinced that he's like all of a sudden this amazing player and he wasn't able to initially help the Giants in the way they hoped he would. Yes, he had a pretty good rookie season, but it wasn't exactly the ways they expected to be the seam buster every play. And ultimately at that stage of his career, and I would argue at every point, Nick, and I know why they disagreed with it, because one, like you said, in McAdoo's system, it's so rigid. It's so we want to get these one-on-one -on -one matchups, all about winning one-on-one -on -one matchups with a big X like Brandon Marshall, a seam buster, and then, like you said, a slot or a Z that you can move around and get free releases, and it's all the same. but Ultimately, I would argue that at that stage of his career, especially Eli Manning would have benefited a lot more from offensive line protection and some no names at wide receiver. And even if you look back at his career, some of his best years, Victor Cruz, not, a, you know, he ended up being a great player, but he wasn't drafted high. Mario Manningham was a mid third round pick or a late third round pick, if I'm not mistaken. Hakeem Nix had his amazing year in 2011. He was their first round pick and their big investment there. But ultimately, and he didn't even have a great O-line that year, by the way. Ultimately, though, at that stage of his career, especially when Eli Manning didn't want to take the same kind of hits that he was taking earlier in his career for obvious reasons, it was more important to build him an offensive line. And so they made a mistake from a foundational standpoint, in my mind, and from a fundamental standpoint. And look at worse versus what the Giants have done this offseason by making the decision to draft John Michael Schmitz, right? By making the decision to draft Jalen Hyde, you can argue it's similar to that, but they had different, you know, different reasons for struggling at times in 2016 as far as Eli Manning versus Daniel Jones. What Daniel Jones needed a lot of time was a receiver who can create speed and separation. What Eli Manning needed maybe was something different at the time, and that was the big, I think that was the big failure in the plan, even though in theory, like you said, it did make some sense. One of the biggest downfalls to Jerry Reese was missing on offensive line picks and also not nailing any day three picks. It doesn't seem like there was really many, and we, we went through it earlier in the offseason, many day three picks that were selected by Jerry Reese who had any sort of respectable contribution to the team. Right now, we're two years in. We have one draft class to go over. I can go through several New York Giants who were selected who I expect to contribute, Dane Belton being one. Daniel Bellinger already did. And that's not even including some of those other guys, and they were all basically injured. And Micah McFadden's looking to be the starting linebacker. We'll see how that happens. I remain somewhat optimistic on his role if, if they use him the right way. That never happened with Jerry Reese, unfortunately. And that ended up being the downfall. There was no depth on the team when Dave Gettleman took over. And look at us. Now we're, we're going to be defending Dave Gettleman. But Dave Gettleman inherited a, a crappy situation. Instead of blowing it up, he just tried to force everything. And then he made just wildly irresponsible decisions, an absolute dereliction of his duty as well. But a lot of that was due to the fact that Jerry Reese left him shit. And then Dave right. Gettleman left Joe Shane shit, and now Joe Shane is turning that shit into gold.
Exactly, exactly. And a lot of that is what you said. It's a lack of contributions from day three outside of obviously that 2007 class. And just look at the draft that they had that final year. So you go into that thing. And I know that you're so focused on finding these weapons for Eli Manning at that point. But no, at, at no point should you be thinking in my mind as a GM that we're good at offensive line. And I know that was one of the years where Jerry Reese didn't do a Dave Gettleman and say, like, we obviously like our offensive line better than you guys do to the media, which Dave Gettleman wow. was wrong on. But he almost did in a sense of just keeping that Flowers, Bobby Hart combination at offensive tackle and assuming that that could actually work out because in the draft, he drafted Evan Ingram with the 23rd pick. That's just a pure, you know, speed freak. You know, hopefully he can be develop into a better player than he was on tape. And then at 55, they, they went value there. They didn't go with, they drafted into a position that they had a lot of depth at already and wasn't going to help protect Eli Manning. Right. And ultimately came at the expense of in my opinion, an offense that needed a lot more than the defense. And that was with Dalvin Thompson at 55 it was a good value pick for sure. Right? Like that's a good value pick, but it might not have been what they needed at the time. And then at 87, they go developmental quarterback with Davis wet. And then at 14, or with the fourth round pick, they go with Wayne Gallman, who was a, a solid player for a little while for the Giants, but also not the guy that's going to help reinvent a 11 personnel run game, right? Like the reason that run game wasn't working was not that they didn't have talent in the backfield. It was that they didn't have blocking up front. They weren't creating space out of 11 personnel to actually get a run game going. And Wayne Gallman wasn't going to change that. And he didn't ultimately he had some good years for the Giants, but they were, you know, the Joe judge year was his best year during Barkley's injury. And that was a different team than 2017 from a blocking standpoint. So I think ultimately you look at that draft class and you just compare that one, Nick, to what the Giants did this year from a, from an outside standpoint, they get a corner at with their first pick in Deontay banks an outside corner. They desperately need, then they go right to the offensive line with John Michael Schmitz and they go right to the big need for speed and separation with Jalen Hyatt. And then coming back, Eric Gray, Trey Hawkins, who may play a big role this year, Jordan Riley and Jerry's Owens, two players who made the roster. Riley might play a role this year. So it just feels like the actual draft classes too. the giants are in a setup in my mind in a much better position to get contributions this year than they were in 2017. When coming off of playoffs, they go developmental QB with their third pick and they draft into a position. They already had a lot of depth at with their second pick. We went over the 2016 plan before, and you can understand it, but when you don't have an offensive line to protect a statue quarterback and Eli Manning at that point of his career, and really his entire career, love Eli Manning, but he's not the most mobile guy. It's a recipe for failure. It really is. You need to protect him. You have what Bobby Hart, Eric Flowers, John Jerry, Justin Pugh, who was a good guard for the New York, New York Giants. They just spent a first round pick on him a couple of years ago, back in 2013. And then Weston Richburg, who was injured a lot. I think he played most of 2016, if I'm not mistaken, though. So Weston Richburg and Justin Pugh, you feel somewhat confident about that. But everybody else was a disaster. And the tackles were a disaster. And if you go back, <laughs> I just have nightmares about Demarcus Ware coming off the edge against against Eric Flowers or Bobby Hart, whoever it was. And Eli Manning had to step up into the pocket. And by that point, it's just like the entire pocket collapsed on this guy. So 100%. not protecting him was was the big issue. Right now, it appears like, yes, you're giving Daniel Jones, who is mobile, by the way, and did an excellent job extemporizing and extending plays last year. You, you gave him all of these explosive weapons. You added Darren Waller. You drafted Jalen Hyatt. But you also drafted John Michael Schmitz. You also drafted Evan Neal. You inherited... Andrew Thomas. You also inherited Ben Bredesen, but you also drafted Josh Azudu. And then you signed Mark Lewinsky, who was a competent, at least starting offensive lineman in the league. I mean, he is right now. I still think he's good enough to start, even though he has some warts with his game. It just seems like a much sounder approach 
in terms of success. And we'll go over some coaching points as well. And the difference between McAdoo and Kafka, which is, you know, um, there's a stark difference between those two. And I think that's where I want to go next, Nick, because you look at like the difference between what the Giants have going forward for 2023 on the offensive line, which you just went over versus what they had going into 2017. And there were no solutions for what you just talked about. Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart getting beat, right? Either a lot of times they just got beat cleanly around the edge. They also had a lot of trouble with the guards picking up stunts that year. I have the nightmare flashbacks thinking about those primetime Dallas games. I think Jeez, it was yeah. one of those that year. where just like right away in the first quarter, you knew the game was over because they couldn't pick up a stunt. And it was just every time they dropped back to pass the ball, there was a guy in the backfield and there was just no way to win a football game like that. But Ultimately, the Giants had a solution for that last year because the blocking wasn't that great last year at times. Evan Neal struggled a lot. We talked about his first Dallas game. The guards struggled a lot at times. The center, like that whole interior line. But they had a solution. Daniel Jones could step up through that, through that A and B gap, and run the football. And then a lot of times, as we saw in the preseason on one play, Daniel Jones also did a good job of just maneuvering, manipulating the pocket, and not even going through the A or the B gap, just going around the C gap, finding some space, keeping himself behind that line of scrimmage to either run or pass. That was not an option for Eli Manning. It made it even more important. Like, okay, well, we can sit here right now, Nick, and say with certain – we can't sit here right now, I should say, Nick, with certainty, and say we feel comfortable the Giants offense line is going to be really good in 2020. Right. That would be unfair. Yeah. And us, I'm not objective of us to say that we have some hopes that Neil can take a big jump that maybe, you know, Azudu or Bredesen can hold it down there. And then that John Michael Smith can just hit the ground running. That's our hope. That's our upside ceiling. But you could have said some kind of similar, not really, but like you could have made an upside case probably for that 2017 line. But the reality is when things break down and when they don't go as expected and along the offensive line, that happens a lot, not just for the Giants, for almost every team across the NFL. You need another option. And Daniel Jones provides that option in 2023 with what we just talked about, maneuvering the pocket, manipulating it, or, and or just running and scrambling. Eli didn't have that option. So where that where the Giants failed, I believe, a lot in 2017 was having no option for a bad offensive line. I think the Giants have some we don't want this to happen, but if worse comes to worse and the offensive line struggles at times this year, I think they have a little bit of a fallback plan with Daniel Jones' ability to kind of escape the pocket, manipulate it, and make plays on his own. It just gives Mike Kafka a lot more options. I mean, we saw it a little bit in the preseason with the with the bootleg passes. Daniel Jones led the league in bootleg passes last year. And think about what happens on a bootleg. It starts with a run action. So the entire defense is going to the opposite sides of the field. You have Mike Kafka drawing backside crossing. And then Daniel Jones, if that end man on the line of scrimmage to the roll side bites, which a lot of time against Saquon Barkley, they do, he can run it himself or he has time to flow across the field and he has multiple options with a clear out that takes away the safety and sometimes a cornerback if it's quarters covered. So he's occupying two people. We saw it against Carolina in the preseason with Hodgins who beat the guy inside. He also had Darren Waller and Daniel Bellinger in the flat. And if Jones just for whatever reason didn't want to throw the football there, he could have ran. It's Mike Kafka basically scheming these, these half field reads based on the play action, which is going to put the defense because they're going to play the run first into this position where they're going to be in conflict because Jones is going to roll to half the field and he's going to have multiple options on that side of the field to throw the football to, not even including the fact that he can run. So there's just so many different ways that a mobile quarterback can beat you. And he gives you such a mathematical advantage on offense against the defense because the defense has to account for him. We saw the Chicago Bears last year not account for Daniel Jones. They basically treated him like he wasn't athletic. He ended up having two rushing touchdowns. And there were, I think, two plays where he 
ran a play action bootleg, Dan. And what happened? Like Tanner Hudson or Daniel Bellinger was wide open downfield with no one even in the area because the defense was selling out to stop Saquon Barkley. But then we saw at the end of the season, even though Daniel Jones was still productive on the ground, those defenses started accounting for Daniel Jones a lot more. And what happened? Giants were effectively running the football out of 11 personnel, a lighter personnel package, because defenses were like, okay, we have to account for this guy. Number eight, he's actually really fast and he's pretty strong. He's not really an easy guy to tackle. So just having that mobile quarterback gives you so many options. And Mike Kafka and Brian Dable are, I don't want to uh, say they're the best coaching staff because that's putting the cart before the horse, but Mike Kafka, he's going to be a head coach soon. He's going to be a head coach soon. And there are reasons for that. And it's because of how innovative and how adaptive he is as a coordinator. Yeah, you nailed it. And that's the next big tentpole to get to here. We talked about how different the roster builds were. We talked about how different the off seasons were. We talked about how different the core players were in 2017 versus 2023 from an age standpoint, from a projection and ascension in their career standpoint, from the potential for projection. You know, for even with going into the season, Nick, I would say you know, I'm not trying to disrespect the guy I love more than any guy and Giants player in the history of the team, Eli Manning. But I almost feel like the Giants are in a better position at quarterback in tw with 2023 Daniel Jones versus that 2017 version of Eli Manning, especially given that both teams had uncertainties along the offensive line and what Jones can give you with the battle line versus what Eli can give you with the battle line at that stage of Eli's career was a very different thing. And that's what I want to get to next, because that's the other major temple here. It's not just, you know, that that team was band-aided up with free agent acquisitions and how they were built. It's also the coaching edge. There is a massive coaching edge the Giants have in 2023 versus what they trotted into 2017 with from the overall 30,000 foot view, Nick, the Giants had Ben McAdoo as head coach and Sol and Mike Sullivan as their offensive coordinator. Mike Sullivan was offensive coordinator named Nick, but he wasn't doing what Mike Kafka was doing. He wasn't scheming up these, these diabolical looks in the red zone and these constant churning of different, different wrinkles in the run game on a weekly basis, different red zone looks on a weekly basis. Like not Mike Sullivan, no offense to the guy was Ben McAdoo's right-hand man. And he was where Eli liked him. He took good note. I'm sure he did a good job with Eli in the meeting rooms and he was his right-hand man during the games. He liked to talk to him, but Ben McAdoo, that was his offense. He was head coach and offensive coordinator and play caller, essentially, all in one. And it wasn't a very schemed-up offense like the Dable Kafka offense, right? There wasn't a lot of pre-snap motion. There wasn't a lot of bootleg action, half-field reads like you talked about to kind of manipulate ways to get yards. There wasn't a lot of schemed-up yards. We saw a lot of times last year the Giants had free plays in the red zone specifically, but all, all across the field where Mike Kafka designed something so good that a receiver was so open at, that the Giants could create a play and it was an easy pitch and catch. That whole offense in 2017 relied on winning one-on-one -on -one matchups. So the coaching edge just on the offensive side alone, offensive side of the ball alone, we can get into if Wink gives the Giants a coaching edge for Spags. I'm curious to get your take on that. But as far as offense goes, where in my opinion, more scheming is, is done and it's more important to game scheme and to game plan and to play call, I just feel like there's, I, and I'm curious to get your take on that too. That's a, probably for another time, but the Giants are just in such a better position with Kafka Dable than they were with that Ben McAdoo offense and whatever you want to give credit to Mike Sullivan doing that year. I want to ask you, if Daniel Jones wasn't mobile, how many games did the Giants win last year? If he was just Daniel Jones, I run a four and nine 
right. am like Jared Goff or something. Yeah, Not even because he ran like a four seven or something, but he's much faster than a four seven Daniel Jones. You're removing seven hundred plus yards from the offense just with his legs. I mean, obviously he would have ran a little bit, but not nearly as much as he did. And if you just look at a lot of his touchdown passes and a lot of his production through the air, it was all because he knew where to go in the pocket, how to manipulate the pocket, how to extend play. We've given him so much credit on this. I don't even know if we give him enough credit. That's how well he did. And that's how different he was from 2021 to 2022. I mean, I I can't praise him enough for his ability to extend plays and also just how Kafka and Dable call the RPO game that they have RPOs. They're generally supposed to be run plays. Like the passing element is a tag off of it. I think the giants really want to pass the football when they call those RPOs because they have so many creative things going on in the past game. And also it gets Daniel Jones moving, like I said before, and gives him options to run the football because those defenders to one side of the field are going to be in conflict. It seems crazy that more offensive staffs aren't being this innovative. It's excellent to see, but you and I, we covered the previous team. We covered it. We never saw stuff like that. I remember right. we praised Jason Garrett when he beat, I think it was the Raiders in 2021, or, or maybe it was Carolina, because he called some bootlegs oh. and roll, and yeah. moved the pocket. We were like, wow, he's calling it. Look, he's got Daniel Jones on the road. We thought it was like so cool and innovative. Obviously, it wasn't. It's pretty fundamental football, <laughs> which we understood then, but it's just because we were so exposed to just crap for so long. But I wanted to ask you, man, like how many games do they win if, if Daniel Jones is, great, is mobile? It's a great question. I would have to go game by game to get you a true answer, but it would be a lot fewer because you mentioned all of what it you mentioned, like uh, one way where it helped the Giants, but also in the red zone, it played a big factor. And then more importantly, just a lot of drives were extended via yeah, Daniel man. Jones, just taking that A gap or that B gap. And those would have been punts. And then they lose games because of that. One of those drives, they, they had all these you know close wins. I don't have the number right in front of me. I think it's in the dock somewhere, but... I, they won how many uh, one score games they won last year, but I would make the case Nick I that think. eight, was like right? Eight. Yeah. So, at, so that's my take. I'm not gonna say Giants were gonna win one game last year. Maybe they get a little lucky in a few of those, but honestly, we could have been looking at a four win season without Dan. If Daniel Jones was Jared Goff level mobile, we're probably looking at a four win season, dude. And there's a lot of similarities between 2016 and 2022 in terms of that because. I think right. if I'm not mistaken, 2016, they won a lot of close games. Even if you just compare the week ones, the Giants, it was amazing that they came back against Tennessee, but they had to rely on Randy Bullock missing that field goal. If you go back to 2016 week one, Terrence, what was his name? Terrence, um, the kid from Baylor, the wide, Terrence Williams. Yeah, Terrence Williams. He caught the football, should have went out of bounds, didn't, and the clock ran out. Like They set up for a field goal there. The Giants, It would have been a long field goal attempt. Don't get me wrong, but the Giants could have lost that football game because of that. So even from that standpoint, if I remember, like the Rams game was close and Landon Collins had a pick six in that game. Like the Giants, they were pick magnets that year. They had a ton of interceptions. I still think they finished negative in turnover ratio because they fumbled the football a lot. And Eli also had a decent amount of interceptions, if I'm not mistaken, but I got to look that up. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. There were a lot of close wins last year, but I will say this, a few things that felt a little different, even just looking at it from that standpoint, like in 2016, and this is something my brother always used to say, he hated that 2016 season. He felt like there was never a game where I felt comfortable. And he always talks about that Browns game. Do you remember that Monday night football game against the Browns 2016, where the Browns were like, Oh, 13 at the time, or like, Oh, something deep. 
And the Giants squeaked out a win when JPP had like a pick six or something crazy. It was either pick six or a fumble six. Just an insane play to squeak out a win. Versus last year, the Giants played a similar team, the Colts, and they blew them out. They actually did blow them out. And that was, to me, kind of one of the biggest differences about what they put on tape in 2022. They showed that, you know, in the right spot, they can still they can blow out a team. And they can look like that dominant force that's really clicking on all cylinders. That never happened in 2016. They had some big wins. They beat Dallas at home in the game. Norris Jenkins uh, kind of had a really dominant game against Des Bryant. And that was Dak Prescott's first season. And that was the Dallas team was like 14 and one at the time. So it was a really big win uh, from that standpoint. But, and you could maybe say argue was the biggest win, but they never had that blowout definitive win like they had against the Colts. So I think that was also one, one difference for me from those two seasons. I remember the Baltimore game too, with uh, the fourth and one slant yeah. to the house by Odell Beckham Jr. I think they won that 27 to 23. <laughs> Reminds me of this past season where the Giants had to make some plays late in the game. And that was much more of a defensive stand when the Giants beat Baltimore last year with Kayvon Thibodeau and Julian Love's interception. But it's just kind of funny because there are similarities, but I do see a difference. And it, it all comes down to that coaching. It all comes down to what Mike Kafka and Brian Dable have proven to us. And also, man, like if you look back on 2016, there was this weird atmosphere with the New York Giants. Just a few years ago, Tom Coughlin was forced to retire. He didn't shake John Mara's hand. Obviously, Eli Manning is linked to Tom Coughlin. You saw him like crying basically at Tom Coughlin's retirement ceremony. And then Ben McAdoo comes in, changes a couple things. Giants experience success. And again, once adversity hit, Ben McAdoo wasn't really a leader. This guy showed, <laughs> I, I just, I can never get over the menu and the suit. And I remember trying to rationalize it like the idiot that I am. I was trying to rationalize a suit like, yeah, you know, he, does, he doesn't really care about the way he looks. He's just football. You know, I was like trying and to think of ways to, to get around it. But like deep down, I knew I'm like, who the f would show up to their <laughs> opening press conference as a head football coach in an oversized suit? Like that is such a freaking ridiculous thing to do. Yeah, it is. And honestly, like it worked for a little while. He made some changes to Eli's game. I like how he yeah, you know, got him to, to come out of that shotgun with that right foot back. That made a big difference in how he performs the passer. But it was mostly for the 2014 and 2015 season and it was mostly not based on scheme. Like they just ran the same SHIT over and sorry if your kid knows how to spell if you're listening with your son. Yeah. But they they that at that point, I think he, he probably knows the word, but you know. They ran the same stuff over and over and over again out of the same personnel package. And so they were relying so much more on these players winning one-on-one -on -one matchups and the offensive line protecting and the quarterback being in rhythm with the receivers and putting the ball in the money versus what, what they showed last year and what I think will carry over to this year, which is they're still going to have more opportunities to win with coaching, to win with the scheming. And I could make the case that, you know, Wink Marndale might be give the Giants a little bit more than Steve Spagnuolo, but you could also make the case that Spags is right on that level, if not, if not better honestly, than Wink Martindale. And so I'm not going to go too deep into the defensive side, but I will say on offense, I feel like the Giants are so much well more well-positioned in 2023 versus 2017. Even if you look at the advanced statistics and the advanced metrics, like EPA, expected points added, the 2022 Giants were a lot better than the 2016 Giants. In 2016, they were 29th in offensive EPA per play. Last year, they were ninth best. A lot of that has to do with the rushing because the Giants were fifth best in rushing. To circle it back to Daniel Jones, one of the reasons why the Giants were so efficient was because of Daniel Jones' ability to extend plays and use his legs. One of the most efficient stats in football is when quarterbacks are able to extend plays when the passing attack is not open. If a quarterback can just see the B-gap come open and run, which we saw so much from Daniel Jones, that helps offenses substantially. Yeah, you're right, Nick. And can I get into one of the uh, one of the big factors in what I why I think the 2023 season will be better than 2017, and why it won't be the same? 
the Giants are probably most likely, you never know, because it can you can get a two-year stretch of bad variance, but the Giants are so much more likely to win the turnover luck variance battle this year than, than where they were at last. So for example, in 2016, the Giants had 25 defensive turnovers, 17 interceptions, and eight fumbles. How many turnovers and specifically how many interceptions did the Giants have last season? It certainly wasn't anywhere near 17. They had six. They had six. And yeah. how much of that is variance? How much of that is luck? We had so many close calls with Dane Belton. We had other opportunities outside of just Belton where it could have been intercepted and it wasn't. Xavier McKinney missed a lot of time with injury. He's one of their big sources of interception. So I think just like the turnover luck should also swing a little bit better to the Giants side, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. I hope, but the Giants were really lucky last year. And I'm going to use the word lucky, even though there is a little bit of skill to it. Forcing fumbles at the perfect moment, like Travis Etienne at the goal line. I think there was one with the Panthers on a on a punt return or something in week two, if I'm not mistaken. There were a bunch of like, like I'll give the Giants credit for the for the fumble, like Kayvon Thibodeau strip sack. Like those are the Giants deserve credit for that right because their scheme that goes into that whether if k was unblocked like he was against washington because of how the giants crowd the line of scrimmage and stuff like that but like when xavier mckinney just strips Travis, like travis etn needs to be better with it with carrying the football in that type of situation but i still agree i think the giants are going to have more interceptions i want to look up wink martindale's defenses and see what the lowest number of interceptions ever were because if you just think about his style i'm going to pressure breaks pipes i'm going to bring the pressure typically one could surmise that it's going to lead to the quarterback putting the football into places that can be intercepted, but that just didn't happen last right. year. We had two against Dak Prescott or Darius Williams, one, and then Julian love love had another. And then I think Dane Belton had every other interception, if I'm not mistaken. Am I forgetting no. one? No, I think it was, I might be forgetting one, but regardless of the fact the giants had six, they ranked last with the Raiders. That's more than likely going to improve, especially considering the fact that the Giants added Trey Hawkins at third, who's looking like a football player, Deontay Banks, and also Bobby Okereke, who I think can really help this. Yeah, you nailed it. The, 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 the talent level should help them get better there, but mostly I just feel like the variance, you, you mentioned it, like Wink Barndale's system and his whole aggressive style should essentially help the Giants in that regard. All right, Nick, any other stats or anything else you wanted to go over um, and just why you feel a little bit more confident or in my mind, and I think in yours too, a lot more confident going into 2023 than we did 2017, especially looking back. Yeah, man, we already hit on a lot of it. A lot of it is just coaching really comes down to it. I, I do see similarities. I understand people who want to pound that argument, but you just look at the coaching. This coaching staff understands how to maximize space. They have a secure grasp on alignments and how to attack certain defenses. Whatever the defense is running, they have a plan to attack that. They have a contingency plan off of that, and that that contingency plan is removed, then they use Daniel Jones' legs. Plus, yeah. they have Saquon Barkley. There's just there's so much that goes into this. I look at a player last season who played, I think, the fourth most snaps at receiver, Marcus Johnson, a non-factor as a receiver. I've said in the past, Jalen Hyatt's floor is that Marcus Johnson role. It's going to be so much more than that. He's going to get closer to his ceiling, in my opinion. And when you think about how the Giants clear out space so frequently with Darius Slayton, you put Jalen Hyatt out there, it's going to draw a lot more eyeballs. Now you add Darren Waller and you can use him creatively. And then you think about how the Giants can pass out of 12 personnel, out of 13 personnel with Lawrence Cager. They retained Matt Breida and Gary Brightwell. If you want to bring back that 31 personnel look and that 30 personnel look that they did use on that one play where Matt Breida caught the pass up the sidelines, remember, out of that was a full house look. There's just so much creativity 
behind how Mike Kafka scripts and designs plays. And I think whatever any defense throws at him, he's going to have an answer. And now the Giants actually have really competent NFL players back there. Players like Paris Campbell, who we don't even like, I mean, we talk about him a solid amount, but Wandell Robinson too. We didn't really expect that much from him. He's back healthy. Sterling Shepard's back healthy. I just feel like the Giants are in a much better position. It's just, can Daniel Jones take his level of play from a passing perspective to another level? Can Evan Neal develop as we all hope? And can the Giants win football games against a much tougher schedule? And it's going to come down to week one. We're going to learn a lot week one. Giants, like I'm not going to say they have to win that football game. But you got to win some divisional games. And this is a home one against a beatable team. Dallas is a very good football team. It's not easy, Dan. It's not easy at all. But if, they, if they're a true contender, the New York Giants, that better be a competitive one. You're right. It's almost like a must-win game if you really think about it because the Giants need to get more division wins this year. And this is one of the home games they have in the division. And it's not Philly. So it's like <laughs> all those factors, I feel like. You, but I do think you just brought up a great point in the end because it's not just about that we're so much more comfortable and confident in the scheme of the offense and like the play design, the route combinations. It's in the multitude of the offense because there were so few that it was the same personnel grouping with McAdoo in 2017 out of the same formation. It wasn't even like they were mixing their 11 up. They weren't even using bunch formations. It was the same SHIT every single time. So it's just like the multitude of the offense too makes me feel confident. And how the run and the pass work in conjunction with yeah. each other because of Daniel Jones mobility and the play action bootleg passing attack. These teams that overplay the run against the Giants, they're going to have to pay. And Jones is just collecting those dimes because he's Danny Dimes, baby. Exactly. All right. We've got that's all we have for today. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your Labor Day weekend. We're coming back strong next week. It's our week one, we're calling it. It's not technically week one until Sunday night football, but it's going to be our week one. We're going to do a breakouts episode. We're going to do a sleepers episode. I think those are fun to do. Bold predictions. And we're going to do our final thoughts heading into the game. All of that content will be coming next week, starting on Monday, or probably starting on late Monday or Tuesday. Obviously, you guys will enjoy your Labor Day as well. We want to give you that break as well. I hope you do something fun. But thank you so much for tuning in to Big Blue Banter, especially on a holiday weekend. Hopefully, one of you has a drive down the shore uh, and you're put, popping this on on that drive down the shore, or coming back from the shore, because that means you had a good weekend. You had a good time on Labor Day weekend. And if anyone's golfing, maybe you got to drive to golf. My favorite thing to do in the world now. So you throw this podcast on for a little 40-minute drive and it gets you through. So otherwise, have a great rest of your weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.